Welcome to the Pro-Life Team Podcast. I'm here with Dr. Joe Malone, and we're going to talk about marriage and sexuality and, and ways, to, ways to improve one's, one's health by making healthy sexual decisions. So, Dr. Joe, I'm excited to have you on the Pro-Life Team podcast. Would you introduce yourself as if you were talking to a small group of pregnancy clinic leadership teams? Sure, I'd be glad to. Yeah, again, uh, last time I was on, and again, thanks for having me this time as well, Jacob. Uh, I, I shared that I'm new to this movement, but uh, I've learned a lot in the last uh, well, months, I, sh I guess you should say. Um, and what, what I'd like to say is pregnancy center help folks um, pregnancy help center, I should say, I'm here to help you. And uh, thank you guys. You know, you help so many people and it's, it's such a, um, day in and day out, you know, you're putting your lives on the line. Hopefully what I, what God's given me is going to allow me to help you, um, work with these young women and help them to prevent, uh, the need for abortions in the future. That's, that's my hope and my prayer. So can you tell us what human sexual wellness is and what are your thoughts and research? Um, have, what, what, what's been the research on this topic? Like, what is, what's it saying? Uh, what, what have you found? Excellent. Yeah. Uh, sexual wellness, again, that would get that would if you just you know took it and defined it as it is. Wellness is generally the uh, practicing a preventive lifestyle. And we all know what sexual means. So lifestyle that is preventive as far as problems goes is what sexual wellness would would mean but in my research uh, as you asked jacob what i found is that sexual wellness equals sexual integrity so again i came into this without really um much bias at all and what i found is that the science and then god's design match up and and show that uh, again, sexual wellness really works out to being uh, sexual integrity. And again, especially for females in, in, in our in, in our species, let's put it that way, because I've studied this on a species level. So it's different with different species, but for humans, definitely sexual wellness equals sexual integrity. Um, and so, so speaking of sexual integrity, what does that look like when it comes to the different scenarios that people find themselves within, such as um, a dating couple um, and variations of that, along with a uh, monogamous uh, uh, marriage relationship, and also different variations of that. All of the other variations besides a monogamous marriage are less than ideal. Um, I got good friend and colleague in Chicago that runs an uh, initiative and he told he's brought up to me that we have a yes we have an abortion problem in this country obviously but even more than that we have a marriage problem because 86 percent of abortions go to unwed mothers so if we could do something about the 86 percent of young women girls even that are getting pregnant and and you know out of circumstances that are not a married couple circumstance, we could go a long way to uh, helping with the abortion situation. And that, again, that's what I want to be as a scientific resource to the pregnancy care center staffs to help bring this knowledge, this information to the girls and young women that, that they're working with and try to uh, prevent things from happening, or at least maybe after maybe a situation has been dealt with, uh, pregnancy has been dealt with, 
maybe from there that young woman can learn uh, the science and then again it's backed up by the bible obviously i mean genesis 3 16 says you know your your desire will be for your husband and a lot of people pass pass over that's right at the, you know beginning of the bible but um god really created women with a strong desire uh to cleave to their husband and to have well first of all have a husband cleave to him and um and, and again i think there's a scientifically that what i've found out is that there's an instinct or an intelligence in women that pushes them along the, the way to be, having sexual integrity. It's just that this society is giving so many messages um, and pushing them so hard in the direction of promiscuity that a lot of them fall, fall to that. So a lot of what I wanna do today even is share some of the science on this and, and again, encourage uh, pregnancy care center staffs to start speaking to these young women and girls about chastity chastity till till marriage again no matter what their history has been they can start it start practicing it from that point forward because again the science is telling us well again that we've just now got this science so um human experience has told us this before that this and of course the bible has been saying these things all the way along um but now we have the science that can help these young women to see that um, they're not doing themselves or, well, themselves especially, but any other women, any favors by being promiscuous before marriage. And I'll, I'll go into why that's true in, in a minute here, but I want to let you have another uh, question if you like. Sure. Um, so when it comes to secular school systems, how might this health information scientifically backed be used by elementary schools, middle schools, and high schools in a secular public school environment? Well, again, there's been a lot of debate over, you know, the young kids uh, having any kind of sex sex ed. I would go along with that in a lot of ways. There's, I think there's an age of innocence that they, they kind of need to be able to grow up through. Um, but there comes a time, maybe middle school, high school, where they should start learning some of these things. And it should be, again, age appropriate and sensitive to what they're going through because we definitely don't want to promote sexualization. We want to lower sexualization. I believe that a lot of the sex ed that's being done now, especially comprehensive sexuality education, is trying to promote sexualization of the students and, and it's it, it's really destructive. And so what we're going to try to do is um, be constructive in the way of giving them tools where they can understand themselves, the young women, also understand the young men, and understand the differences between the two and, and how they see things differently and use that to their advantage. The other really important thing that they need to learn early, well, again, somewhere in the high school, middle school time period. And again, this is something that you can teach, you know, any, any probably from middle school or up, is that boys and girls, uh, men and women fall in love differently. And so this is like a headliner here, because only in about the last 10 years have we discovered this. There's two different ways that males are benefited by having by romancing a woman rather than having casual sex with her. And it benefits the relationship as well. It benefits um, the chances of getting on the pathway to marriage. One of them, one way is that vasopressin. And again, um, this research as far as the way vasopressin works in the brain as far as male bonding is very, very recent. Uh, there's been other knowledge about vasopressin, how, how it acts throughout the rest of the body for a long time. But so 
Vasopressin is, again, the major male bonding neurotransmitter and hormone. The only way that it gets a chance to bond, though, is if uh, a, a young man, a young woman date um, are around each other. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter what they do. If they're sexually attracted to each other, the male's vasopressin is going to be building up in his brain. If if he has if they have sex and if uh, he comes to climax, what the chemicals at climax, which there's a huge amount of testosterone, um, uh, uh, dopamine goes down, actually, um, uh, serotonin, oxytocin, and especially opioids, which is the major re reward chemical, they all they all really blast up. They, they all really um, explode, I guess you'd say. And that vasopressin gets washed out. But if he if he's just attracted to her, he's around, he's around her, they're dating. Again, old school. It's the old school approach. It's the, the old Judeo-Christian um, society based on Judeo-Christian society that had the rules as far as no premarital sex and that type of thing. It allowed the vasopressin to be in the young men's brains long enough for them to, to form receptors. And when receptors were formed eventually, after months and months and months of this courtship type of thing, then the vasopressin uh, itself would go into the, the receptor and lock. And at that point, uh, a, a young man falls in love or bonds, however you want to put it. One other, again, headliner uh, here for girls and young women is that besides that um, reason to not be sexually active before marriage, if you want to ever get married, is um, oxytocin. Now, women have lots of oxytocin and lots of estrogen and they boost each other. So that's one of the reasons that, that the way that things have been going in our culture has been so bad for women is that they fall in love readily at, with sex. They fall in love readily with intercourse. So, but again, it keeps ma the male from falling in love with him and bonding with him. But if the male is held off like this, if, again, if they do the traditional romance and, and courtship and that type of thing and save sex for marriage, then his oxytocin that, he, that you know, rises whenever he's around her and they hug and, and they, you know, kiss and that type of thing. Um, it's going to continue. It's going to rise. And the testosterone, again, at, at uh, orgasm, his testosterone explodes amongst the others that, that I named. And oxytocin gets driven down by testosterone. So as long as his testosterone is not, is not um, going high, then the oxytocin has a chance to build its bonds as well. And when a man commits on any level, you know, boyfriend, engagement, marriage, um, has children, especially when you have children, drops by like 50%, um, oxy, uh, uh, testosterone drops, it drops at all those, those stages. And so there's definitely, Jacob, a plan here in, in, in motion. So there's a design. God has designed this and designed humans to be monogamous. There's just that we have... You know, America and Western Europe has lost their ways on, 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 in this situation. So getting back to the pregnancy centers, again, if we can start teaching girls and young women this scientific truth and give them a reason um, to practice chastity primarily, um, we're going to help the situation tremendously because we're going to be able to head off uh, unwanted pregnancies before, the, before they even happen. So but let me just share a little quick story. A young woman, uh, two, two young women that I've dealt with in the past, 
uh, have told me that they're one father, one mother. Um, in each case, the father and mothers were in, in divorced from you know, the original mom and dad. And they were the ones that wanted out of the marriage. But they told their, their girls um, that the only way they were going to get a guy in this day and age was to sleep with them, you know, have sex with them uh, ahead of time. And we've got parents telling their, their, their daughters this. So again, a very destructive uh, situation, let, let alone what the school is, is uh, telling them. So, but that's something that I think that the pregnancy center staffs can really use um, information that's gonna, again, help them to get these girls and young women to realize, hey, someday I wanna fall in love with somebody. Someday I wanna get married. Someday I wanna have children. And this is the old school, the biblical approach is, is the way to do it. And again, it's been proven scientifically in about the last 10 years. You won't hear that very many places because they're trying to tell a different story. They, they, don't, want that, they don't want that truth to come out, but that's the truth. And that's, that's uh, something I wanna try to get out there to them. So to recap, it sounds like we have been designed to be romantic in order to form a love bond to have that romance without climax for a long season. And then that long season gives our bodies time to biologically develop the love connection. Exactly. You, you, you restated that extremely well. That's exactly the way it is. And then on the other end of it, you know, um, the other end where these girls and young women have been pushed, again, a lot of it's by the feminists, the radical feminists that have said, tried to say, you know, that girls and women are just the same as guys. I mean, they've got to act just like guys do. And they got, especially in the area of sexuality, they've got to be uh, very um, aggressive and that type of thing. Well, hookup cultures come because of that. And really, I mean, the truth of it is that hookup culture, the way it is, uh, enables and empowers rape culture. Again, you hear about rape culture on the campuses and Again, 80% of rapes or uh, unwanted sexuality, um, sexual assault, all those different uh, categories, 80% of it happens within the context of a hookup. So not only is there a positive to uh, courtship and romance and holding off on, to, on sex until till marriage, not only a positive in that direction of that you're actually probably going to end up getting married and you're going to have a happy couple and we're going to have a happy family eventually. You're going to, and you have a lot enough of those. You're going to have a happy country. Not only on that end of it, but also on the other end, on the on the pushing pro promiscuity literally on campuses and wherever else they can. You're actually they are actually endangering our girls and young women, and so um, that is something that needs to be stood up against as, as well and needs to be called out because universities are really really. Um, they're really, really bad in, in doing that because it, it is it's it's not hidden. The research is there and they should know better. But but they're but they continue this. Um, sexualization is the best way that I can put it. Even at that age, they're pushing sexuality, they're pushing um, basically contraception and abortion, you know, if uh, if all the other things fail. So that's that's a kind of a double edged sword there that you win on each end of that if you practice chastity uh, to marriage. It sounds like you're, you're, uh, you're sharing a, a scientific approach that, that supports chastity. And, and it also seems to, um, uh, you know, it's a reason to not 
promote contraceptives being handed out in order to encourage uh, premarital sex or sex outside of marriage. Um, yes. Because that would essentially just line people up with, well, avoiding these love connections being made, as well as when contraceptives fail, then we're lining ourselves up for ending the life of a of, of, an, of a conceived child. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm glad that I'm communicating this <laughs> the way it is because you're picking it up yeah. exactly the way what I'm saying. And again, for a while here in my life, you know, I've kind of held off on on uh, you know sharing this type of thing because it's so there's so many people out there that, that are you know will cancel you or whatever you know uh, they don't want to hear this. But again, especially our girls and young women, they need to hear. It. And the guys, the guys are benefited by it as well when they when they are kind of helped help down that path or forced down that pathway of of chivalry and you know treating the the girls with respect and uh um you know um ro romance being romantic with them they end up being uh benefited by it as well while we're on hormonal birth control yes uh it's got a ton of negative effects to it uh, especially the younger the, the girl is the 15 to 19 year old stage um there's all kinds of suicide uh, increases and cutting and uh, depression and anxiety, but even even the older ones, uh, 20, you know, in their twenties and that type of thing, bunch of uh, bad effects there. Uh, the other another big thing is that uh, hormonal birth control causes women and girls to be attracted to somebody that they wouldn't be attracted to normally, and oftentimes, uh, and what that what that's about is that. It changes their chemistry so that they're attracted to people who are more like them genetically than they would be otherwise. And so a lot mm. of the, a lot of them, when they go off the, the pill, you know, after they get married, finally, um, they're not attracted to their husband in, anymore. You know, <laughs> that's a horrible, horrible place to be there. Um, and it also dampens their sex drive. Their sex drive is is dampened. They don't go through the normal um, cycle that 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 women do. Um, the, the kind of the ups, ups and downs, uh, along with antidepressants, it really, it really depresses the sex drive. And of course, if after they're married and, you know, tr wanting to have a good sex life, all of that can be extremely negative. It also, again, this doesn't get any much, much, um, press, but it also causes clots at a much higher rate, blood clots and cancer is increased. So Jacob, to tell you the truth, um, the old school, um, way you know girls and boys they grew up and, and right, right around 20 to 25 but especially probably closer to 20 they got married and they started having children um and then they had quite a few children and and then she breastfed them all of those things add up to uh, a healthier life higher much higher chance of a healthier life for the the, the young woman um than she would if she was doing what we're doing talking about now again the the birth control pills have a lot of negative effects behaviorally as well as um as well as just flat out health wise let me just read you a, a couple of things here as far as what i was talking about with the behavior of the girls and young women um and how it affects how the early behavior affects their health later in life so early sexual arousal on a young woman or girl and young woman influencers are to be more sexual as she get, as she gets older so the earlier the, se the first sexual arousal the more uh, she's going to have a tendency to be higher um, sex driven uh, than she would have been 
early and promiscuous sexual activity um, raises her chances of develop, developing vaginal and cervical cancer. We already talked about this, but use, use as a teenager or young adult for hormonal birth control um, really raises the chance of depression and, and committing suicide. None or a minimal number of pregnancies and none or minimal breastfeeding raises her chances for both ovarian and uterine cancer. And ovarian is usually, usually uh, fatal uh, if, if they get that. Here's another one that has to do with the home. And I'll explain this a little bit. Beginning to menstruate early for a girl raises her chance of, chances of getting uterine cancer down, down the line. Now, you, we would think to ourselves, and it's really not her fault, you know, if she starts to start her, her period earlier, it, and it isn't, but it can be the fault of the home because, and again, there's a couple other things that, to be fair, I'll, I'll throw in here. Obesity is, is raising this because it's, when a girl's body gets enough fat, it, it signals it start start uh, uh, menstruating. And, and uh, there was one other one. Um, oh, the stuff, everything, the things are in the environment, the plastics that are in the environment also have a tendency to raise it. But here's the big one. A girl that's in, in an intact home with her, her mom and dad, and you know, where that, especially that dad is around, her biological dad is around, they found that they start menstruating later. And, and girls that don't have their dad in their home, or if they have like somebody else, a, a male in the home, or like a step stepdad, they, they'll start their, their period early. So it's a destabilizing thing in their home. So again, we spoke of marriage earlier. Marriage solves most of these problems, <laughs> a, a, a good marriage. And it's, it's hard to even list how many, how many um, benefits there are to being in a good, good marriage. Some other, if, we, if I get the opportunity to, and the honor to talk to you again on another, maybe another one of these, I'll, I'll, start, I'll go through marriage and all of the, all of the benefits. Um, but I'll add a couple other things if you do, here if you don't mind too. So, so every way you look at this, girls lose, <laughs> young women lose being sexually active, Ca you know, casual sex. I always say casual sex is an oxymoron because there's no such thing as casual sex. Um, I'll just give you this. After hooking up, uh, the effects on women, 78% of women regretted it. Uh, women are depressed at higher rates after hooking up. Women have lower self-esteem after hooking up and women's uh, they have higher general general mental distress. So, um, again, hooking up, needing to have uh, birth control, be on birth control because you are hooking up, all of it adds up to a really, really unhealthy, an unwellness situation, uh, probably some of the lowest sexual wellness that we could ever uh, look for. But in addition to that, men, men have um, attitudes towards women and girls that that do are sexually active or practice casual sex because women and girls need to know this that after a sexual um like, like after a couple has that isn't married has a sexual intercourse a lot of the young men especially the ones that are more of the player types and kind of probably probably the more popular ones um dating a lot of girls and that type of thing Within 10 seconds after climaxing, his um, valuation of, of her, even how she looks to him, how attractive she is to him, goes down, even to the point of, of her not being attractive anymore. Now, 
for the, the young men that weren't players and, you know, that, that, that didn't, didn't uh, go out with girls and women to try to just get in the bed with them. That wasn't true, but girls and women should know that these guys that they think are so, um, you know, they're so attractive and everything. And they, I'll never have a chance to get him if I don't have sex with him. They need to know that when you have sex with this guy, he's going to devalue your, what you're worth to him. You're devaluing yourself in his eyes. The other thing they need to know, and again, this, this will come as a surprise, I think, to most people, is that men really value faithfulness in uh, their married partners. And this is, this is including the players I was just talking about. Um, they're number one out of 130 uh, traits in, in a woman that they, they want to get married to someday. They pick faithfulness as number one and not not being, um, uh, I guess you'd say, uh, cheap or whatever, or uh, you know, being sexually active. They value that number one for being uh, for a future marriage partner so out of 130 different traits. And, and then the ones that follow beneath that were honesty, the types of things that if, if a young woman or girl is practicing um, chastity and, and sexual restraint, uh, he's gonna see her that way. So. Again, it's been a little surprising to me scientifically because of the way our society is, but scientifically, and again, you can go to the Bible, you can go to a lot of other, you know, faith, a lot of other religious resources, and they're all, they all say the same thing and they're all correct. So um, does that make sense? It is amazing that you're showing the value of chastity through a biological lens. And it makes sense that when someone says, I don't want to have sex while the culture is saying that if you have sex, you're going to hook him into marriage and not having sex will align you with being a more desirable life partner because it's a value to have chastity and integrity looking more long-term than short-term. I'm, I'm imagining how Pregnancy Clinic leadership teams are hearing this and they will find ways to communicate this to young clients. Um, yes. I have a question for you. So are there are there stats or with your research, have you seen that women are taking the pill before they menstruate or as soon as they start menstruating? Is that, you know, what's the, what's the reality look like for young girls on the pill? It looks like about the youngest age they start taking the pill is 15 and that which they would mean that they'd be menstruating maybe a year or two before that. And of course, okay. When they start when they start menstruating it's usually all over the board you know it isn't regular it takes quite a long time um, to some of them to the near their in, to near the end of their teenage years for it to become regular that's why even back in the days you know back in the the ancient days uh, most of the time pregnancies didn't occur until you know right around 20 or so was the first pregnancy in a a marriage would, would, would take place, even though they may have gotten married earlier, um, which they did back in the day. Again, used to be 12 was a was an age of consent for a long time in, in Europe and, and again, back into the Middle Ages and that, that type of thing. So, um, yeah, so it's about 15, 15 years old. And, and um, again, those 15 and 19 year olds, they really, really are suffer from the hormone exposure. And it's bad on the, on the oral, you know, the pill contraceptives, but it's even worse with things like IUDs or patch or whatever. 
where, you, where they have those big dosages of it. I mean, the stats, I don't have them in front of me, but it's, it's scary how much depression and anxiety that brings on and then also completed suicides. I mean, that that's one of the most tragic things I can think of as a girl or a young woman, you know, ended up killing themselves as a result of, you know, the way they feel and that type of thing um, because they want to be sexually active and that type of thing. And then, and then when you mentioned that a, a woman who's on the pill, who she's attracted to changes, maybe to match someone closer to her own makeup um, when it comes to compared to that of not being on the pill. And so if she ends up getting married while on the pill, she may find that her attraction dissipates after getting off the pill. Um, I'm, I'm thinking that it might be really helpful for you to maybe provide um, a scientific journal link or something that we can include in the notes of this uh, podcast. So that way people can refer to that, uh, that study. Uh, but I feel like that's a message that needs to be delivered to these 15 plus year old women who are starting or thinking about the pill so that they can understand, you know, it, it's, it's essentially it's going to mess with their ability to find out who they're attracted to. And, and it's going to, um, result in some problems after they get off the pill. And that's, yeah, such, a, such an important message to hear. And I did not know that until you mentioned it in this podcast. Yeah, well, it's just now really becoming known. I mean, it's been known, you know, by the, by the uh, medical folks and the scientists probably for five or six years and maybe, maybe a little more than that. But it takes a long time, especially for news like that, that goes against the, the, the um, favored narrative to, to get out into the into the um, mainstream, you, you might say. And again, most women don't realize that, you know, waiting until they're in their 30s to, to, to get married and then trying to have children, you know, after that, they don't realize all of the um, negativity that brings on as well. So um, again, chromosomal damages to their, to their children, the, the odds go way up on that. And again, I alluded to the Kind of the old school, not even that old though, because back in the early '60s, basically, people were getting married young, and and um, you know, just give you a few stats on that. Uh, there are three times more 20 to 29 year olds married in in the night early 1960s than there are now. Three times uh, in 19 in the early 1960s, 75 percent, 75 percent of 18 years old and older were married. So again, three fourths. And then again, going back to the abortion challenge, we have, you know, in the early 60s, only 5% of babies were born out of wedlock. And you want to guess how much it is now overall, the average, Jacob? Well, I know it's higher, but. Yeah. Uh, lots of, is it half? It, say that one more time. Is it half? Actually, as far as being born out of wedlock, there was there was about five percent being born out of wedlock in the early '60s. As of 2010, there's 40 percent being born out of wedlock. I'm, I'm sure it's higher now in 2022. So, mm -hmm. so we went from five percent in the early '60s. Again, when we had these guardrails on that we're talking about, as far as societal stigma, if you're sexually active before before marriage and that type of thing, um, we had five percent then overall total society and now we have 40 percent so it's increased well again that's 2010 uh, statistics um, so 50 50 years yeah 
it, it, it increased by eight times. Hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah. And, and with another 12 years, based on that trend, it's probably 50 or more at this point, but it's yeah. probably in that ballpark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And again, we've had a lot of, uh, you know, young people these days are, they're not getting married, you know, they're, they're cohabiting. Um, there's just all these different uh, variations that are going away from, uh, again, the tradition uh, of, okay, you get to a certain point, you know, maybe you're a high school graduate, if you're not going to go on to college, you know, you got, you got, you, you've, you're in love with somebody, you're not afraid to get married at 20 or so, 2021, 20, uh, you know, 22, 23, whatever. And again, while you're young, the, uh, the, the females peak fertility is age 19 to 29 and the males is 24 to 26. So you're right in right there in the fertility uh, peak. So um, there's just a lot of um, positives to following that time honored uh, uh, and Bible biblical, you know, again, to keep from committing fornication, sometimes it's not um, a good idea to, to let the time lapse too long that, that you're a, an adult, basically. You have all these hormones and you don't have anybody telling you you can't do it, except, you know, people like us and, and, and the Christian church. And so it makes it pretty difficult. But if, if we can start getting the perception of marriage is okay a little younger, uh, I think that would help things a, a lot as well. Let me throw a few, couple more things in just to, for the, especially for the women that are listening uh, on this thing, on this idea of casual sex, giving men casual sex, because again, they did some research on, on men's regrets versus women's regrets. And I just had to shake my head when I, when I went through this, this study, but um, women's regrets were th losing uh, things like losing their virginity, um, to the wrong person and or you know having sex when they were drunk and that person was really a creep when when they got sober um and and they were interested in the hookup turning into a relationship so and hardly ever did did it do that very very seldom that was women's regrets after a hookup men's regrets they, they regretted that they missed probably some other sexual opportunities um they regretted that they didn't have more sex when they were younger. And again, this isn't all men, but this was more men said these things than, than women did and vice versa. Um, and, and finally, failing to uh, capitalize on opportunities that they had to, to hook up in the past. So again, it's like women, if they can just catch on to this, they really are in control. They've got the superpower. And um, if they decide as a, as a whole or most of them decide to change this, the way things are in the society, it will change and it will go back to what we were talking about in the 60s. And again, people always say, you know, you can't go back, you know, they always make that uh, statement. But actually, you know, I, I used to teach history and history is not linear. It's actually cyclical. It goes back and forth. Um, again, if, if we have a strong enough uh, uh, motivation to do it, we can take things back in the direction that they were 50, 60 years ago. Okay, my, done with my preaching there. Go ahead, what, <laughs> what other questions? What other questions? Sure, so the other items on the list was to talk about the scientific basis of human sexual integrity and in marriage, but I think we've covered that somewhat. Is there anything more you'd like to say on that topic or 
the male sexual system or the female sexual system? The only thing I'd like to say in addition on the, on the marriage and sexual integrity is I want, I want to reiterate for the folks that are listening and especially the pregnancy care center uh, folks yeah. and especially for the ladies in the, that are, you know, pregnancy care folks. Um, it really is, uh, you know, they have, you all have probably felt, you know, earlier, depending on how old you are, uh, you felt pressure to be maybe promiscuous and that type of thing as, as a young, young woman. And probably a lot of you resisted it. Some of you didn't, but it actually is put there by God uh, for our good. And, and again, females, not only in our species, but in, in many other species, they're the ones that are the gatekeepers for sexuality. And in most other species where we don't have social pressures like we have in this, in this society, um, they put a lot of pressure on the, on the males to produce, you know, they produce resources for them, to bond with them, them and them only. Um, it's a female driven situation. If we could get our young women and girls to understand this, that they're really victims these days of in, with hookup culture and being pushed into casual sex, that they have all the power in their hands if they just uh, turn it around and, and start being uh, start kind of living the old school way. Uh, again, their lives would be so much better. And so would the guys because the guys are benefited by it because that leads you down the pathway to marriage. And there's so many benefits in, in marriage to both, but especially the guys. I mean, for one thing, the males have a, well, females have a 50% greater chance of death from all causes if they're not married. Um, males have a 250% chance of death by all causes if they're, if they're not married. So being married really, really helps boys and young men to just mature. And again, it's God's design to make men out of boys, especially, and take them off the streets, take them out of the uh, things that they harm themselves and harm each, harm each other. It's just, it's so wise. Um, and our, our species Again, our bodies show that we are um, we're, we're monogamous, and uh, you know you can look at other species. I won't go into go into it here today, maybe for another time. But how promiscuous species have different bodies, uh, and, and monogamous species have distinctive bodies from them. I mean, the evidence is all here that we are supposed to live like the Bible describes, and like the science is describing now. It's just a matter of getting the message out there to, again, especially the girls and young women, because they are the decision makers. They're the gatekeepers. So, and, and they're also by instinct and intelligence, most of them, there's a few, there's a small percentage that's an exception to this, but 85, 90% of them are, they, they have that tendency. They have that inclination to, to want to, to practice chastity uh, till marriage and then get married to a great guy and have a great, have a great family and live happily ever after. So we just got to help them down, you know, get on that pathway and help them, help them have the courage, you know, to do it. We need to be encouraging them in this way. And again, what I can provide is the science that will back these uh, staff staffs uh, on these, uh, at these pregnancy care centers. Um, so they can, they can, they can argue from a scientifically uh, proven point rather than just having to, who, I don't mean just because the ethical argument is important too, and the biblical argument is extremely important, but being able to put in the science as well, um, I think really strengthens it. It did, it did in my life, as far as it strengthened my faith 
to, to, to know this. Hopefully we'll theirs too. When things are true, it's, it's just amazing to see how biologically it can be shown and be demonstrated to align with the truth. And yes. so that just seems that it's amazing. So, and it seems like the instructors of children would include, uh, you know, a single mom, a single dad, two parents, or and or their teachers at their their school. And I feel like those are probably the biggest instructors of children normally. Um, when when do you think the values of marriage and romance should be taught by a parent or a teacher? Well, I think you can, you know, despite what I said earlier, I think you can teach the little ones, um, that, you know, romance, your mom and dad, in an ideal world, the teachers, the teaching staff would all be united on, because they know how much value there is to a good marriage, to every every kind of wellness outcome you could think of for the kids. They would be united on teaching the, the even the young children uh, things that promoted marriage, uh, especially, you know, uh, man and woman and their their biological children they would be they would be telling stories and like they used to I mean when I was a child they were telling they would uh, read the Little House on the Prairie books you know to us and and other books like that and that that promoted the idea of family and, and promoted you know our ancestors struggle to to be able to uh, survive in a lot of cases they don't do that anymore from what I can see and um I think, again, there's so much improvement that can be made there, but certainly by middle to high school, um, I, I think you can start having some conversations, especially in high school, about the value of marriage to these young people in comparison to other things in their life going forward. And again, um, I, I'm thinking back because in college, I, I'm far enough back that we actually literally had marriage prep class. I took marriage prep class in college. And, and again, that would be great to reinstitute that, but the, the colleges and universities are quite a, quite the opposite uh, message these days. But high school, yeah, uh, promoting marriage, but getting them and, them and the, the college students to realize that marriage is so valuable. It's the college students, and I always wondered at uh, how hard they worked to get, a, get a, their bachelor's degree um, and, you know, they work, they work in a job, they had their social life, they, they worked really hard, you know, to, to, to pass their class and everything. They did all that and paid a bunch of money uh, to get a, uh, something that's going to help get a good job. And hopefully that they did get a good job from it. But there was very little or no thought put into marriage and thinking about how can I get on a pathway to where I'm going to meet somebody that's going to be great, you know, and they're going to think I'm great. And we're going to get married and we're going to form a family. The importance of that to your well-being and your success in life, I say, is more important than, than the bachelor's degree or even a master's or even a PhD. Um, your marriage, next to your decision about God or not, to believe in God, you know, believe in Jesus and, and uh, believe that he died for us and trust, trust in him to save us from our sins, uh, other than that, your your marriage is, is decision number two, is, I think, in importance. So um, it's very, very, if any preparation is given at all, if any education is given at all, it's um, very, very passing and, you know, very, very light. I think it should be uh, emphasized greatly because, again, 
a good marriage, and again, especially if there's not too much of a lag time between when a boy and a girl become, you know, sexually mature, and I mean fully, like 18, 19, there's not too much of a lag time between there and like 10 years or so a lag time. It's going to be much easier to live that chase life from the time, you know, they get out of high school and, and that type of thing to the marriage, like it used to be two or three years. Uh, than it is now where you're trying to make it to near 30 uh, before you before you get married. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I feel like the amount of uh, energy and uh, just planning and work to pour into something that's so important is, yeah, needs to be promoted and needs to be encouraged. And um, because it's going to essentially help our society be built on stronger families. Yes. Um, so what do you think of when someone teaches less desired or less healthy relationships like two moms or two dads or more than two people, like three plus people, uh, compared to the ideal situation of a healthy marriage with one faithful man and one faithful woman? Um, should it be taught that these other relationships that exist um, are less healthy than one man and one woman. Um, should we be sharing that story? But you know, and what do you think about when they're all raised to the same level, and they're you know one's not put below another, um, and th what kind of harm does that create for people who are now being confused about which is the best because they're being treated as equals based on some of the new, uh, you know, e you know, when it comes to the new equality outcomes that's being taught in schools, all situations are now trying to be equal in outcome. And in reality, a healthy marriage based on your data seems to be superior to these alternative relationships that someone could find themselves in. Well, again, my um, I probably do have a bias on this one. Um, and again, Biblically, I think it's pretty clear that the su superior choice uh, by far is one man and one woman. And again, the science, I think, you know, will will back you up on that. You know, although I haven't dug into that as deeply as some of these other other subjects, but um, and I haven't dug into, you know, the benefits or not benefits of the same sex thing either. But again, as much, but I've, I've, I've been around them enough to tell you that Yes, I think it's clear that um, heterosexual marriage that stays together, that you know, children are born into, and again, my bias would be that they it starts earlier, and uh, they have more than you know, they have a fair number of kids. The kids uh, get breastfed. Um, everybody's going to be healthier, including the mother, you know, that and that type of thing. So, um, uh, I look at things a lot of times from a well, the health and wellness perspective. That's clear that that's the case. Um, the others, again, I, I just keep going back to the, you know, the one in 10,000, the one in 30,000, as far as transgenderism, the prevalence of it, and then everything else, you know, LGBTQ and plus whatever else, it's 3% of the population that, that is, you know, dealing with those issues. And, uh, so the 97% of the population is what I keep my eye on and what I'm really, really trying to promote this healthy marriage um, and, and that sexual wellness is equal sexual integrity, which is really marriage. You know, we want to get sex inside marriage. And uh, so I really, really focusing on that 
And the other issues, I'm observing them. And again, like I said, I've got my uh, scientific uh, knowledge of it and also uh, my, my background as far as uh, the way I was raised and that type of thing uh, in, the, in the church. So I feel that there's a, a better pathway and a not, not so uh, good pathway. Um, I don't judge those folks uh, as far as um, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself an enemy with any, any of them. Uh, I don't wish them ill will uh, at all, but as a scientist, as, as a, hopefully a leader, a thought leader um, amongst the folks we're talking about here, uh, I would have to say yes, that the ideal is a one man, one woman, and a, a, a fairly large family, and uh, again, church attendance and uh, uh, community involvement. Um, you know, the benefit of a, just to give you one example, the benefit of a good marriage for, with a man and a woman, um, especially a long-term, it's beneficial on so many levels. And I'll just tell you the one I think is very interesting. They did, they did a study with these couples and some of them were, you know, they were living together and some of them and some of them were, you know, in unhappy predominantly relationships and some of them weren't happy, happy marriages. What they found was that the ones that were in a happy marriage at night, literally, they had them, they strapped them to um, blood pressure, they had blood pressure, you know, uh, checking devices on them that they could still, I guess, sleep with. But what they found with the others that weren't in a married situation, man and woman married, um, they all, that none of them had this uh, effect that the, the married couples did when they were sleeping at night. And that effect was both of their blood pressure dropped. Their blood pressures dropped tremendously compared to the other ones that weren't either weren't in a committed relationship or, you know, not in a good, um, getting along to, to well together and that type of thing. So um, a great marriage, is on so many levels a great marriage this you know your traditional man and woman is is positive on so many levels and not only to the couple themselves but again the reason some of the research i have done more on is the children you know how how it affects the children and i mentioned one thing earlier about a, a, a daughter you know how she's affected by either having her biological dad especially a loving you know biological dad in, in the home it really makes her th her thrive in general, and uh, really is helpful to girls because as they grow up, because um, their father is really the first role model for a male for them to apply to other, you know, the boys that they start having attractions to, and then eventually their their husbands. So without that situation, you know, in, in the home, um, there's a lot of I think uh, um, there's a deficit there that's hard to replace. Otherwise, and, and it's some of it at least is pheromone, pheromone, you know. So uh, his familiar pheromones, his um, you know his chemistry is like hers, and there's a comfort there. And um, again, it lowers the stress level on her body to the point where she doesn't start menstruating earlier. Like I, like I said, if, she, if there's a different situation. So um, does that make sense? Yes, and. Yeah, so I think we've, we've covered a lot of good material, and I am really glad that you highlighted some of these concepts that I was not aware of, and I just know that our audience is going to really treasure and try and 
you know, figure out how to communicate some of these valuable ideas to women who are coming in in different scenarios. And also, I hope and pray that people working with our schools and parents will be able to convey these ideas as preventive content, preventive education, and preventive measures to avoid hardships. Thank you so much, Dr. Joe, for being on the podcast. Oh, any, any last thoughts or, yeah. Yeah, um, thank you, Jacob. The honor really is all mine. I appreciate you, the opportunity to be on here. And I appreciate your thoughtful questions and just this conversation that we can have. Um, yeah, uh, prevention. Yeah, that is really, really again, yeah, what, what I'm hoping to be able to do and, and with these in combination in, in you know in collaboration with these pregnancy care center staffs and again i want to be a scientific resource for them and i really want us to hammer that that message of you know, especially to the girls and young women that really you can you've got the superpower you know you, you've got the superpower through chastity um and through designing your life the way you want it to be to never have to face a situation of an abortion uh, or a lot of other, you know, STIs. We, I didn't even get to the S STIs, STDs, um, but all of that disappears too uh, when you have, when you practice this lifestyle. Um, you know, just real quick, uh, a, a woman has a eight times uh, higher chance of getting HIV if there's HIV, you know, between the couple than, than the guy does. And that's, mm. of course, that's hugely serious. And they have a four times greater chance of getting gonorrhea because their anatomy is conducive to that because it's easier to penetrate than the male genitalia is with the viruses. And also it's um, moist and warm and that type of thing, which, which lends itself to uh, infections and that, that type of thing. So that's just one more thing <laughs> to add on to these girls and young women, you know, and any women that are listening especially or men but especially women older women they're listening is our girls and young women deserve to be protected from this and if if anybody's listening to me um if this resonates with you rings rings a bell in your heart as far as we gotta get this message to these young females and we gotta protect them because right now they're just being torn apart you know in the society with the ways that society is expecting them to behave and uh, again, they end up last resort, you know, if they're pregnant, they, they end up in our care. And that's that's a wonderful situation that we're here to care for them. But a whole lot of um, heartache and heartbreak can be avoided and um, stress if we can get to them earlier, get get to them upstream um, from the abortion situation. And again, start really pounding, pounding a drum for marriage and and. Uh, how all the great things about marriage and, and how getting prepared for it is more important than their college education and that type of thing. And um, it's a good thing. Don't be, don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid if it's, you know, if you're in love with somebody to think you have to wait till you're 30 years old, because again, I think we set a lot of young people up for failure um, in this chastity situation by suggesting to them that, Oh, you can't get married until you're 27 or 28. Just wouldn't be the right thing to do. Well, they got to go all the way from 17, 18, uh, when the hormones hit their, in the guys at least, the whole, their highest level. And um, we're putting a pretty high task on them. Um, you and I both know, and the people who are listening know that it's the most difficult time in history so far to practice chastity, but it can be done. And I think if, if a movement can be started, it can um, catch fire and, and grow because 
it's in them to do this. It's it's in their it's in their hearts. It's in their intelligence. It's in their instinct. And the guys will respond to it. And and again, it's in them to practice chivalry and romance and respect for the women. It's just so much better. Um, everybody wins on that. And then I've got one last question. This one comes from our uh, last podcast, which sure. is, so let's say there's a, a man and a woman in a marriage, and for some reason they, you know, their bond is not strong. It's it's, it's a weak bond. Mm-hmm. How, you know, from your research, how can they grow that bond while in their current marriage? Um, does that essentially mean that they need to have romance for three months? And you know, without releasing, um, you know, from climax, or what's the, what's that look like for someone to recover from, you know, while being in a difficult marriage? I don't think it would be a bad idea to have to you know, be apart from each other, and now, I don't mean literally apart, like different houses or that, that thing, thing being the same house, but I think it would be actually a good idea for them to um, go celibate for a while. And again, especially for the man to romance the woman and, uh, you know, look at their schedules because a lot of times these days, um, you know, husband and wife are so busy with so many other uh, different things that the, the, the load just of the, you know, internet, the, the internet puts on us with the emails and everything that we have to keep up with. Uh, there's just so many things that, that can get us bogged down that we forget that life is really lived face to face and you know you need much or most of your time to be face to face and especially with you know the love of your life your 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 spouse your the person you're going to be with hopefully the rest of your life so that's one thing i would recommend is you know maybe taking a little vacation from the from uh, the intimacy department but work back towards it, real intimacy you know again making a situation where it isn't just, oh, you know, we didn't have sex, so we better have sex, you know, uh, but we got to do this, you know, right afterwards and, and that type of thing. What I've, what I've found is that a lot of couples just over time, the rest of their lives take their life with each other away, away from them because they can always put that off. And, you know, um, so, so yes, I think that, that I think uh, a romantic vacation uh, would especially on the guy's side of it would build up that more uh, that uh, vasopressin and, and oxytocin again and um, romance her and uh, date her and uh, you know again on the other side of it the woman feels so so special when she's treated like that as well so um, yeah that's actually a good idea on your part and again won't solve all of them but I bet you it would solve uh, a high percentage of them because the the research on that is that. Most people, most couples that end up getting divorced were not really in a bad state of disagreement. They weren't really at each other's throats until the divorce actually happened. So once the, once the divorce is in process and their attorneys are going back and forth, that's when it really gets, you know, the, the point of no return. So, uh, and again, there's a high percentage, I can't bring back the exact percentage of couples that, you know, are unhappy but if they're kind of encouraged to stay together um you know like it's like within within a year if they stay together a high percentage of i think 70 percent of them end up not getting divorced if they just are are uh, encouraged to stay together and maybe practice some of the behavior that you're talking about with with each other actually paying attention to each other and uh 
um, setting aside time, you know, for each other in, in their, in their schedules. Yes. So a weekly date night along with a season of romance without sex sounds like a good recipe for recovery or, or building. Just in general, in our society, I don't think we can go wrong with having as much more, more romance in general (laughs) as we can, because we're pretty, pretty low on it, even, even with uh, married couples, but but especially these the youngsters coming up. But yeah, more romance um, is going to help, I think, uh, on, uh, on every level. See 
stones Right with love and care Refining healing fire And you 